what if you were able to detach yourself from something that you really wanted? A result of a test, a project you're working on, a perfect holiday. To remove that part of the process completely and just be there in the moment on, on the job, on the project or on the journey. What if you were able to make your enjoyment of that moment completely unconditional of the outcome? And how would that affect your ability to perform in that moment, to do the job, to be a great parent, to think clearly? That's one of the stories coming away on this week's podcast about how that kind of detachment led to one Australian actor becoming probably the one of the best-known Australian voices in the world. My guest on this week's podcast is Melanie Zanetti. You may know her voice as the voice of Chili Healer on Bluey. It's such a great chat, and I can't wait for you to enjoy it. However, we do need to pay the bills here better than yesterday because podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make, so I need to pay the people that make the show with me. You might hear some ads. So if you do, thank you. If you don't, we'll get straight to Melanie. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I've had teachers tell me that they've had a student with learning disabilities or autism in their class and it's taught them how to play with other kids and it's changed their life at school. I had a friend who recently, there's an episode, Onesies, and there's Chili's sister who is played by Rose Byrne. Um, they haven't seen each other for a while and you, you as an adult, you realise it's because she can't have kids and it's really hard visiting her sister. And I have a friend who wrote to me and said, just through circumstances, she hasn't been able to have kids and family and some of her friends watching that episode of Blue was the first time they really got it. And it was so massive for her. When you're in this industry, sometimes you're like, does any of this ever matter? Like we're, we're not doing brain surgery, but being part of a show that I feel like actually is having this really wonderful social impact is so, it's so great. That was the actor Melanie Zanetti. I'm Osha Ginsberg. This is better than yesterday. Better than yesterday. 
Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Washi Ginsberg, and thanks for being a part of the show. This is a tri-weekly podcast that's here to make your day today better than yesterday by having conversations with people from all over the world or walks of life. And some of these people are experts in their field. These conversations will give you something, a little something that pops in your head and goes, ah, maybe try this thing differently or think about that differently or maybe maybe think if we can live today without doing that. And ba-cow, ba-boom, ba-bing, your day today is better than yesterday. Been here since 2013. Boy, coming up on 10 years of this show, and there's plenty of episodes to go and check out. Here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays and Wednesdays with a guest, and Fridays I'm here with you. I'm Osha Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm the owner of a titanium prosthetic hip and about to be the owner of a second titanium prosthetic hip <laughs> in the same place. Yeah. There's more surgery on the way. So uh, more about that as we go. But yeah, that's on the way. That'll be exciting. I'm currently hosting a TV show called The Masked Singer. The first episode went out last night. There's another one that's coming out tonight. It's a heap of fun. You can find that on uh, Network 10 or at 10 Play, wherever you are. And I also work on Dad Pod with Charlie Clawson, which is a parenting podcast that he and I have done since before our littlest kids were born. It's a podcast by dads for dads who don't want to be shit dads and... um. Yeah, you can find me anytime you like. Send off your email at gmail.com. And also you can find me on Instagram, which is weird because Instagram is doing weird shit with my things. Like I put stuff up every day and it says 20 people saw it. And I don't understand because last week thousands of people were seeing stuff. So fuck you, Facebook. Anyway, it's <laughs> probably a not uncommon thing to be saying these days. I want to tell you about my guest today. Melanie Zanetti is an actor who splits her time between Australia and Los Angeles. She's appeared on our screens big and small from the supernatural thriller Raven's Hollow to The Young Rock. However, it is her work on a TV show called Bluey that is probably her highest profile gig to date. Melanie Zanetti plays the voice of Chili Healer, mother of Bingo and Bluey, and the wife of Bandit Healer, the stay-at-home dad who looks after the aforementioned Bingo and Bluey. If you've never watched Bluey, uh, let me tell you, as far as I'm concerned, it is probably the best sitcom that's been written since Seinfeld, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a show that equals it in emotion or the, I guess, showcasing or demonstration or representation of what it actually is to be not only a parent uh, but also a kid. It's raw, it's honest, it's open, and what I love about it is the people in the show make mistakes. The dad makes mistakes, the mum makes mistakes, the kids make mistakes. They try to make them better, but it really flies in the face of this idea of you know, familial perfection that we've come, I guess, to know through watching families on TV. I do get into this a bit with Melanie, but I pretty much wept from the very first frame I saw of Bluey because I saw my city of Brisbane represented on television. Growing up, I never saw that. And it just blew my mind to feel like my city of Brisbane was important enough to be showcased like that. And it's just exquisite to watch every day and, and see, once again, bits of the city I grew up in. It's just fantastic. I love it to bits. If you've never watched Bluey, it's okay. I kind of wish I was you. I wish I could go back in time and have never seen an episode because I've seen all of them many times by now. 
I'm going to give you a couple episodes to watch before you start listening to Melody. I never really do this, but I'm saying before you start listening to this show, I want you to stop this podcast and either open up the iView app or the ABC iView on your laptop or find it on your TV somewhere. And I want you to check out the following episodes. Check out Curry Swap, which is pretty much everything you'll ever need to know about the hero's journey or the storytelling tradition of Western culture. I want you to watch Army, which says a lot about neurodiversity. I want you to watch Stories, which in six and a half minutes or so, teaches in a whole generation of Australians more about cognitive behavioural therapy and reframing than anything that's ever come before it. Similarly, there's a show called Space, which is, I just, I weep every time in that it just brings to light what it's like to live with anxiety and the kind of therapy you need to do to get past it. And the final episode I want you to check out is an episode called Sleepy Time. And I don't want to spoil it, but the the music is incredible. And I think last week I checked it, it was rated as the second highest on IMDb's top 100 TV episodes of all time. Uh, it's up there with like Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones and it's six, seven minutes long. It's phenomenal. So check out those couple episodes before you listen to Melanie. But if you've seen them all, you know what I'm talking about. Melanie Zanetti is an absolute delight. You can find her on Instagram, Melanie Zanetti, M-E-L-A-N-I-E-Z-A-N-E-T-T-I. So enjoy this journey with the woman who brings Chili Healer to life, the exquisite Melanie Zanetti. I've got Melanie on the show today, and I was trying to remember, I was trying to remember that. We play it all the time and we end it with Wolfie because uh, Wolfie's our nearly three-year-old. And this is the beautiful thing here, Melanie. Oh, that's – It's like right now we're coming up on – We're coming up on um, lunchtime and then nap time and because I'm down here talking to you and Audrey needs, you know, just 10 minutes to put lunch together, I'll give you one guess what Wolfie's watching right now. <laughs> yes. The best. Love that. Dude. I can't even like I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am to speak to you today. You know, I know I know a bit about you, but I you know, I always like to you know, discover things with my listeners as we go along. So, there's some things I deliberately didn't read about you because I like to go, "Wow, me too." Or, "Wow, I didn't know that." Awesome. Uh, but there are some things awesome. I, I there are some things I know about you. Um, but I do have to say first and foremost, selfishly before, you know, Wolfie was pretty much like digesting TV uh, as he does now, as a kid that grew up in Brisbane, to just see my city, the culture that I grew up in, normalised and represented on television is is so validating and so important. And I'm just so grateful for it. I can't tell you. I can't tell you, you know, because I never saw the Australia that Isn't I knew on TV. It's like one of those things where you re- really realise that representation does matter I know it, it, this is in such a weird kind of place way, 
But then it makes me go, okay, well, if you're someone who's like never seen yourself represented on screen and I'm having all these emotional feelings, just the place I grew up being represented on screen, what does that mean? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I, I, oh, look, absolutely. What? So you grew up in, in Queensland? Yeah. Yeah. I'm from, from Brisbane. Um, born here for a lot of the time that I've been in Australia and the last few years I've sort of been part-time in Australia, part-time in the US and then Europe bits for the last couple of years filming things. So comes with you know, a, comes with everywhere. A, it comes with a gig, you know. <laughs> it really <laughs> As does. As an actor. It really does. Yeah, if you're, if you're a swimmer, uh, in Australia, you're going to go live on the Gold Coast because that's where the Institute of Sports Swimming scored. Like, that's where you're going to be. Like, that's it. You go where exactly. it is. Exactly. You go where it is. And that's why you know, I lived in LA totally. for 10 I lived in LA for 10 years because, like, that's it. That's 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 where it is. That's where that's my where industry it is. Is, is, it was, is concentrated at the time that I was kind of into that. You were from Brisbane, right? Yeah, you I grew were... up there. Absolutely. I, I grew up you in were, Brisbane. You were a terrorist boy, right? You know <laughs> yeah. how I know that. And now because we're playing the Queensland Hullos. game for everyone listening. We're now playing the Queensland game. We are less than two minutes away from finding out how we know the same person. Go. I, I only know that because I went to a Hollows, which is the partner school, and there was sort of this folklore that the um, presenter of Channel V and I think it was Australian Idol around that time once walked among us. Um, so there was that kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! As a as a terrified fourteen year old backstage, um, you know, doing school musicals at that big at Loretto Hall, um, no in, way in All Hallows in the late eighties and early nineties because I was either too fat or too scared or both to get on stage and and actually be in the musical at that point. I did eventually get on stage, uh, but walking around backstage with all those our All Hallows girls. Um, yeah, I like, it was the greatest. I, I used to always say like, so all the other guys I went to my, my I went to a rugby school, um, in the late eighties and school's very different now, but at the time, I'm sure it's the same thing with, you know, all hellers and girls schools at the time. At the time, if you didn't play rugby in my school, then forget it. Who, who are you? And while they, all, the, all the other boys would go off after school to go and stick their heads between other boys' butts and, and run around and stomp on each other at rugby union. I would go and play in the darkened corridors backstage at All Hallows with all All Hallows girls for a good three or four months of the year, rehearsing for the school musical. And I did that year on year, and it was amazing. But like, who's winning there, really? My my first girlfriend went to All Hallows, Melanie, and I was in grade nine, and she, and she was in grade ten. Oh, controversial! I love yeah, it. Yeah, I was pretty happy about that. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I was this terrified, you know, uh, overweight and and and, and frightened, uh, amazing, you know, teenager running around there. Um, and who else? I tell you exactly the other person I went to all Hallow, I went to school with at the same time. She's not well, Hallow's girl. That was not the story that was told many moons later. So. <laughs> no, um, the other person that I went to school with. Um, that uh, went to all Hallows. Um, she is now commentating the Tour de France. Um, Dr. Bridie O'Donnell, who's been on this show a number of times. Yeah. No she's um, one of the commentators awesome. for SPS for, for, for Tour cool. de France. And so going to, going, you know, to school in, in Brisbane and going to All Hallows and, you know, I'm sure you would have seen, had the same experience. It's like when you turn on the telly, you either see America or you see bits of the UK. Both places have weather and accents and I guess values that don't really 
reflect what we've got. They're in English, so they're kind of adjacent. But all the Australia stuff, I mean, I remember watching the cricket, which I loved, in the summer when it's 36 degrees in Brisbane and people are wearing jumpers at the MCG. I'm like, yeah, that's not my country. That's not my, I don't understand that. Yeah. And so to see the first, I'll never forget, the first Bluey episode I saw was the one um, where the kids eat ice cream and there's city cats going by and they're at South Bank. And I wept because <laughs> there's my skyline. There's my <gasps> I city. That. You know? There's been many Bluey apps that even just reading the scripts, I have laughed and cried. Um, they're so beautifully written. And yeah, feeling like this is really ours and it's this incredible export. Um, it's such a beautiful thing to be part of. It it really is. And well, mate, I'm I'm on a deep dive at the moment. I mean, we'll, we'll, <laughs> I, I, look, your your thought. There's a fantastic episode that recently came out about um, the state of origin, uh, an episode called The Decider, where um, I guess essentially you were a part of a cohort that either time travelled in the future and got the final score line, and then went back in time and put it into the episode, or you correctly predicted the final uh, score line. Wasn't that wild? Like, I don't know. Joe's a bit of a genius. I, I think maybe he just uh, is also a um, time lord. Who knows? <laughs> so you're in, you're going to All Hallows, which is a, an all-girls school right on the river, right by the Story Bridge. If you're ever in Brisbane, you're driving south. It's just there on the right-hand side. It's a big stone, big sandstone wall. It's got a, a, a big wall around it like a prison. <laughs> Um, which on the final day of my grade 12, uh, the caretakers from your school um, had chained the front gates and were standing out the front with cricket <laughs> cricket bats. It was the late, wow. it was the early 90s. It was a different time. Um, That's amazing. I'm assuming that you also went to uh, through the rite of passage of these high school musicals and you got on stage and you did a bit of that and that's kind of how you identified your pathway after school? Um, yeah, I, I did the, the musicals and things like that. I wasn't going to be an actor straight out of school. I just, I think I just thought that that couldn't really be for me. I thought that was for like extremely beautiful and deluded people. And I'm like, well, I'm smart. And so I'm not going to do that. And so I, uh, I started a sort of journalism, creative industries degree, which, um, I was very good at and I hated and um, it was during that first six months that my parents sat me down and said, hey, you can do anything later, but you really loved acting and we think you should give it a go. And I was like, that's ridiculous. What's wrong with you guys? And then I had a big cry. And, and there was one course left open and I auditioned and the rest is, the rest is history. Talk to me about what it is to, you know, the, the, if you can, looking back now, you know, what you think about the pressure put on 18, 19-year-old kids who really don't know what it is that they're into um and this kind of idea that you know you pop yourself down on some tram tracks and just kind of head for the head for the next stop of I've got this piece of paper now and you just do four straight years or seven years or whatever you're doing um what, I, what was I think that like? it's so ridiculous well um uh obviously I didn't have any external family pressure but I had pressure on myself I was like yeah. okay you you did well academically and this is, you know, just the next step of what we should do. And, you know, there's such strong social constructs of now this is the next step. 
And now, you know, you get the degree, you get the job, and then you get the house and you get the kids and you get the family and this is what we all should be doing. Um, no one really knows. Like some, maybe some people do at, at, you know, 17, 18 when they leave school what they want to be doing, but most of us don't. And I think having time, giving time and space to explore some things, try some things, realise you hate them, realise that there's a different path that you want uh, is so important to give some sort of, space to that age group and even after uni so when I graduated from acting school um, the year after I got really sick so I couldn't work for a year and it was really devastating and um, I had to turn down work and stuff like that and I say that because I'm thinking about all these people who are finishing school now finishing university and in this COVID world and feeling like they're behind or um, their dreams are not heading in the direction they want because there's all these external factors. And I just want to say that nothing's lost. Like that few, few years of being really unwell um, did a few things. One, it made me incredibly patient. Um, secondly, it meant that I had to get really specific about what was important to me because I couldn't do the work that I loved and party. It just, there was, my body did not have that capacity. So I had to really work out who and what was worth my time. And uh, also it, it severed any relationship I had with alcohol because I couldn't drink for a number of years. And not that it was ever bad, you know, partied on the weekend, whatever, but it, you know, when I was in uni, but it just meant that um, it stopped being a part of my life. And now I, I do it occasionally, but it's, you know, our culture has this really quite intense, you know, drinking culture and um, just having that can't be part of your life for such a big, big period, I think was actually really clarifying. Also, I don't get FOMO because I missed out on so much for so many years that everything's a gift. Uh, so, yeah, just just want thinking about all these people in this young people in this really tricky time with COVID and the uncertainty. I just want to say that nothing's lost. There will be things that come out of this, which will be magic. There's a lot you spoke about there that I can, you know, I can really relate to. And to see, I remember like, I didn't, like I said, I, I, I didn't initially go to uni. I finished school and I didn't, I didn't do very well. The aforementioned hanging out in dark hallways and not really concentrating on academic things was probably a big part of that. Um, and watching all my mates go off and do these, you know, huge university adventures, um, I, I just I just felt so left out, so left out. Was it tough for you seeing all your mates go off on these and probably some of them were taking gap years and then fucking off to France or whatever? Totally. Like, was it tough for you? So it was, uh, so it was after uni. It was, it was really, yeah, it was quite devastating. So what had happened... Long story short, I had um, implants put in my jaw because I had no adult teeth under my 12-year-old molars and they gave me just way too many antibiotics, just a blanket adult dose and I'm quite a small person. Um, decimated my gut. I got glandular for six months. Couldn't get better. Um, so it was a lot of just like repairing my body stuff. Um, but, yeah, that was that was hard and it was hard on, on friendships when, you know, I could never go out and... Um, exercise. I couldn't really do that much before I got sick. All of this kind of stuff that, you know, where you feel like 
you're impaired and come in some way. And, you know, I can talk about it now because I have so much distance from it, but I was doing at like when I was getting better and working, um, doing big, like, you know, 900 seat theaters, unmiked and really sick. No one knew. So some of my best acting was, was off stage and just, you know, excuses as to why I'm not going out for drinks with everyone afterwards. Yeah. Uh, but now there's a certain level of, I guess, uh, focus and appreciation to just be able to do what you love. Uh, you know, such a gift. Everything's a gift. You've got it on the money right there. I'll tell you that for nothing, <laughs> Melanie. And, and coming to that place is no, easier for some than others. We, I, I only know what it was to grow up learning how to drink as a teenage boy in Brisbane. Um, not suddenly not being able to be a part of that. I'm sure it was the same for you as a teenage girl. You know, see your mum, I'm off to Jenny's house and not trying not to make the bottles clink in your bag as you kind of go out the door and all that kind of business. <laughs> to suddenly, like, and that's just a, it kind of, you know, permeates into your day to day and it's just a part, an accepted part of what it is to be getting older and the amount you're drinking and who you're drinking with kind of just slowly expands and expands. To suddenly have that shut off. What perspective did that give you on the role alcohol played in the cohort of your friends? Um, look, I was really lucky that I ended up, I've always been pretty good at having good friendships, particularly with women. Um, I come from a big family. I have three sisters and um, my mum was really good at never comparing any of us and being really clear that we all, you know, were gifted and wonderful and how to champion each other and have really good relationships and work through our problems. So that kind of set me up to have really close um, and strong relationships with particularly other women, um, which meant that when I had to stop drinking, the people whose the relationships were based on just partying sort of fell away and the ones that were really true friendships um, stuck around. Um, but, but I'm, I'm really fortunate in that I've got so many incredible friends in my life. Um, and yeah, I think the quality of your friendships becomes really clear when there is no alcohol or party involved. At university, which, you know, first, first year uni is essentially, uh, uh, hang on, a first year uni is essentially an opportunity to experiment, like not only with, you know, how, how far and what you can do with two minute noodles, it's also, um, you know, <laughs> let's see what my liver can do. <laughs> totally. Um, you're, you're up there in Toowoomba, I'm assuming. You're up there in Toowoomba and, yeah. you know, you're watching all this malarkey going on around you. Like, what was that like? <laughs> well, here's the thing with my uni. It was, we had more hours than school. So we were there from like 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day. I was often wow. staying back to work on things afterwards. And then um, I would often be at the gym before that. So it was writ for me, very poor, <laughs> um, but at uni a lot. And so it was really on the, the weekends that it was like work hard, play hard situation. But I feel like most people at uni and you've got a few classes here and a few there, um, but ours were constant, physical, you had to turn up, uh, it, nothing was optional. So it's a bit of a different experience than a lot of people's uni. Act acting is this kind of nebulous thing. 
and uh, drama or stage acting or yeah. particularly film acting. It's just, I, it's a kind of hard thing to appreciate that there is a skill involved and there is a learning curve and some people are very good at it. Like some people can juggle three balls, some people can juggle 22 balls. One of them is a bowling ball, the other is a cricket ball, one's a ping pong ball and one's a chainsaw. Some people can do that. You know, some people are me and my, playing myself in Neighbours and then some people are Tom Hardy, you know. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> There's levels to it. When yeah. you're saying you're learning, you know, you're studying, um, you know, Bachelor of Theatre Arts, you're, you're, you're studying acting, um, what kind of things are you doing from eight in the morning till six at nine? So mornings we usually uh, voice and body work. So, yeah, working on your vocal range, working on, uh, you know, we did – dance and stage combat and tai chi and uh lots of stuff like the beginning you're just like working on your breathing and really actually releasing tension in your body like you don't get into text for ages you're you're kind of um pulling apart and deconstructing the years of what you've done to your body to get it back to a neutral place like i had to i had to sort of relearn how to stand properly because um I in primary school I got boobs really early so I would stand like shoulders forward and trying to like concave my chest for years and um I wasn't I would kind of sink into my pelvis and try and escape and so learning how to like actually stand up properly not um I also like have hypermobility in all my joints so I would like not lock my knees like all of this just trying to get your body back to a neutral place to start from um stuff that you 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 wouldn't even think of like making sure you're breathing into the right place like all of this just very elemental stuff at the beginning and then you start working on text um, and then acting, it was like four hours of acting in the afternoon, whatever you're working on scenes or if you're doing a play or something like that. Um, and then a, a bit of th- theory chucked in there as well. I'm wondering what we can take away from that. It's something you said there that uh, I, and I think we could, we could all learn something from is that it's just noticing where you're starting from. So if you're having a, a shitty time at work or with your family or whatever, well, where are you starting from? Is your breathing shallow? Are you hunched mm. over? Is your body tense? Well, this doesn't really give me much of a, you know, place to spring off. I'm basically balancing on a chopstick here. I don't have many choices versus, well, I'm really calm. My heart rate's nice and low. My voice is soft. Totally. My body's soft. Someone's coming here to annoy me. Oh, now I'm standing on this kind of big solid platform that I can take a step in any direction and choose how to react from here. Would that sound about right? Mm-hmm. Let's start an acting school. We'll make millions. Absolutely. And um, <laughs> and not just physically. Yeah, totally. Um I I teach occasionally and oh, cool. uh, when I when I start the class, I just have a check-in and ask everyone how they are. And the beginning everyone's like, oh good. I'm like, okay, we're we're gonna do it with how we're feeling emotionally. Good isn't an emotion. And having people just having to recalibrate and actually check in with where they're at. And then I can see the judgment if people, it's an emotion they've decided is a bad emotion. And if someone said sad, I'm like, great, you're feeling sad. Like taking the judgment away from emotions, but also encouraging people to constantly be checking in with where they are emotionally. It's just, you know, where am I in this moment, in the present? And it's really useful, not just for acting, just like for us as humans as well. 
Can you take me through that? For, for people who aren't actors, what's the process of checking in where you are and, and why is that useful? Um, it's incredibly useful to know where you're starting from and to be able to, within the work, I identify what's happening inside you, but also just generally in life, you're acting, to be acting consciously going, okay, where am I at? How, why am I feeling this? Um, and, and what choices can I make now that I'm cognitive of this happening? So if I'm, I'm here with you, Osher, and I say, uh, how are you feeling? And you answer in an emotion. Uh, uh, an emotion, I'm, I am overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Yes. Now that is one, that's, that's what we call a bit of a checkout emotion. So overwhelmed is, uh, I would say, okay, so underneath that overwhelmed, what would it be? Uh, emotionally, um, uh, there's, yeah. uh, there's fear and, and, and trepidation around, uh, some, some body stuff that I've got going on that's kind of a chronic situation. Then there is the, uh, the dread of dealing with everything that my wife and I have been pushing to one side while these last 12 weeks of really intense work has been happening. So we've got the bandwidth to deal with everything. And as soon as Thursday morning shows up, that damn wall is coming down and we have to go through it. All those emails. There we like go. It's all coming, man. <laughs> and that's you getting specific. Yeah. And specificity is the mark of a professional. So, um, yeah, I get get people to try and get as specific and clear with themselves, so they can be specific and clear in their work. And I guess, yeah, it just gives you a place to, I guess, understand your own reactions, but also think about what other choices you can make. Have you read the book um, The Art of Possibility exactly. by Ben Zander? Yeah, it's really great. No, I talk about I it haven't. all the time. Oh, shit, dude. I'm just going to put that in my list. Essentially, he sums up what you and I have just been talking about for the last 10 minutes or so is um, what choices am I making that I don't realise I'm making that gives me what I see? Mm-hmm. What other choices could I make that I haven't made yet that could give me a different outcome? And it's only a few short words, but it kind of breaks apart the reactive self and the observant self uh-huh. quite powerfully. And it's an easy way in that doesn't involve exactly CBT or, or anything like that. There's that quote. Um, it's been attributed to Viktor Frankl, but I, I don't know if you actually said it, um, about the, the space between, you know, the action and the response it lies possibility. Yes. Um, that, yeah, that that one that you're just trying to go. How much how much space can I create there in between being reactive and what's happened? Yeah. You know, it's a it's a constant journey. Oh yeah, and that that is that step between between possibility in between you know uh, uh, catalyst and reaction. To get a space, get a breath, to get a millisecond in that space, that is years of work. Because <laughs> my brain works faster than anything. My right? instant, instant reactions work faster than any deliberate response that I can possibly try to try to get. But it all it all comes with practice. It all comes with practice. Uh-huh. It's like learning how to drive a manual car back in the day when people drove manual cars. When you first bought your, your new computer, when you were trying to start it up, you're like, what's the button? I can't find the button. Oh, there it is. And eventually you do it without looking. 
Um, when you when you graduate from uni as an actor, um, that I guess that's a little like saying, "Unreal, you've got an uh, you know ancient arts degree." Off you go. Good luck finding work. <laughs> like. You know, you've got this ancient history degree. There you go. There's two jobs in the well, state. I was really fortunate. I, um, <laughs> yeah, enjoy that. Um, it, it can be a bit like that. I, I started working the day I graduated. I had a theatre tour that I'd auditioned for and um, had lined up. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was very fortunate that way. But then, then there was a bit of a, a break because of ill health. Um, but it's, it's all kind of, for me, things have, I guess, kind of opened up organically. It was like quite a lot of theater. And then I started transitioning to filming TV and had to start saying no to theater because it takes such big chunks of time. Um, and then, then onto some cartoon voice work, uh, in a wonderful production that we know about. Uh, so how did the audition come your way? I mean, this is Charlie Clawson. I'll make a, a parenting podcast with Charlie Clawson called Dad Pod. And he's, he's an actor who was on Home and Away for a bunch of years and he was on Blue Healers. And he, he talks about it. He goes, like, my, like dealing with his toddler who currently she's in Iona's a month younger than Wolfie and she just doesn't want dad. She just wants mum. And he goes, <laughs> I'm a professional actor. I know rejection. This is my job. My job is actually to be okay with rejection. The acting part is just a tiny it part is. of it. <laughs> you are a professional auditioner um, who builds resilience against constant rejection yeah. and you have to uh, love what you do and know why you do it so entirely. Otherwise, you will be miserable in this world um, of, of acting, potentially. Well, maybe you won't. Maybe that's just me. I think about that a lot when we're, you know, we're making these kind of concurrently, we're making these two colossal television shows, which I'm very grateful for. But once we make them, once we record them, then it's out of my hands. I, I don't yeah. work in promo. I don't work in publicity. What have you learned about taking the enjoyment of the process as the primary goal rather than betting on we're going to sell out 10 weeks here or this movie is going to be number one or Young Rock's going to get seven seasons or whatever? I think you have to enjoy the work in the moment and what you have in the moment. And like, and one amazing thing about being an artist is we're kind of fast-tracked into doing what, you know, human beings kind of want to do to live their best life, which is live in the present where we're constantly forced to because things are changing all the time. We don't have a, a nine to five that's going to mean A plus B equals C. That's not going to happen for us. So learning to live in the uncertainty of life which and the illusion of control is sort of gone for us so much more quickly than other people. And like, I, I'm not never going to have a midlife crisis. I have weekly tiny crises all the time. So we're dealing with it on the daily rather than being able to ignore it and then wake up one day and go, oh my goodness, what was my life? Where's it gone? We're grappling with this all the time. I don't know if you feel the same, but it's, it's much more present. You're, you're choosing, you're constantly choosing to keep doing this. Um, and I think there's something 
there's something very difficult in that. There's something incredibly beautiful and wonderful in that in terms of, of how you're experiencing life. I was saying, actually, in another podcast, one of one of my favorite quotes is, um, uh, hell is getting to the end of your life and meeting the person you could have been. And I just always want to be trying to be the person I want to be and live the life I want to because it could end tomorrow. It, all this could be yeah. gone and, you know, you, you want to at least be uh, living boldly enough to go, oh, yeah, I, I kind of had a pretty good run for what I had, made the most of it. I had a couple of weeks back I had um, a disaster planner as my guest. She was first on the scene at um, Grenfell Tower Fire in the UK. Her job is to... You know, after a massive natural disaster or a war disaster, her job is to create the, the mortuaries that can handle thousands of corpses. And, you know, she was there at the wow. Indian Ocean tsunami. Like, her job is intense. The happiest, one of the happiest, most joyful people I've ever spoken to. Because she goes through every day knowing it's not a if, it's a when. One day when I walk out the front door, Mm -hmm. and I don't make it home again, I'm going to want to be sure that I've said goodbye to my kids or, you know, in the best way possible or, you know, had the best morning or enjoyed this cup of tea as wonderfully as I can because when it happens, I'll, you know, that'll be it. And it just it struck me so much that her yeah. embracing of death was the reason that she was so joyful. <laughs> it was awesome. It, it seems. Um like counterintuitive, but I feel like particularly in the West, we are so bad in terms of how we feel and deal with death. We, we're just trying to ignore it. And I think part of that, honestly, is capitalism. Capitalism wants us to ignore death because if we're thinking about it, then we're, we're going to be putting our time and en energy into things that we really value. And that may not be accumulating massive wealth and possessions. Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, I'm feeling old and a bit, a bit, a bit tired. Here's some new shoes. That'll make me feel younger today. And then, totally. like, <laughs> three days go by and, like, I stepped in shit. I don't care that they're new shoes, but I still stepped in dog shit. You know, it doesn't. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so how much of what we're talking about, how much of what we're talking about came from your own mum? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. I, I like a lot of. Like I'm not a mum myself, so when I'm playing chilly and I'm I'm getting into the zone, I, I will think about my own mum. She she was and is a very kind, tuned in mum. I think probably ahead of her time. Like I feel like now there's this really un, big understanding of conscious parenting, of realizing that this is another human being who you don't own, but you're bringing into the world and you are yeah. trying to set up and equip to have the most, you know, meaningful and joy-filled and set up for the difficulties of life person that you can. And yeah. I feel like that's newer, probably in the, the last, you know, 10, 20 years, um, even maybe less. I think my mum was really conscious of that even, you know, 30 years ago. When you were having that conversation, when you were six months into a degree that they could clearly see you did not like, do you remember that conversation? Do you remember 
like was she being like oh absolutely could there be other kids parents at the time if knowing knowing the school knowing the school you went to knowing other girls that went to your school (laughs) is like no you're fucking becoming a doctor and that is it (laughs) it was both my mum and dad and they were like they literally sat me down they're like hey we've been talking and and said yeah my dad was like I, i yeah i want you to be able to give this a go and make make the the most of the talents and things that you love but yes back back to to bluey how that all happened i um i was uh actually putting a voiceover down in someone's studio who happened to be dan brum who does the sound for bluey and the he plays stripe and it was something super boring that we were doing but he was like hey you've got a really great voice there's this animation that my brother's doing it's already cast but you want to like chuck some vocals down and you know in case it goes and there's new characters um and I did that and he showed me the um at like the animatics I think it's called the just like the really basic um as it's the first the pilot was being made and uh I fell in love I was like this this is I've never seen anything like this my heart hurts this is so beautiful and so then um just before it premiered at the Asia Pacific Convention um abc wanted to change up i think the like the mum and dad i think the mum sounded a little i think she's english and they wanted to sound a bit more aussie and they're like do you mind if we just chuck your vocals in i was like yes you can do whatever you want well and you'd already recorded this you'd already recorded the script for the for the teaser i'd already recorded yeah yeah for the pilot so i think it won best in show at the asia pacific and it was going and then they did their due diligence. They auditioned for like three months wow. um, for the role, and then they came back to me and said, "No, you were you were right all along." And then, about a year later, um, Charlie, one of the producers, said it was it was because we couldn't find anyone with the same warmth um, that you brought to it. So there you go. So you're in Dan Brum's VO booth, what recording an, an, a, like a radio ad for you know Zup's Tire like, and Auto yeah. or something. I think it was like something like Marubra State Council's online video. Yes. Uh, really exciting stuff. Um, the Marubra City Council's yeah, so recycling it was complete, program. Has, was that sort of thing, like a corporate? Totally corporate. Bread and butter stuff. And, uh, yeah, so it was completely by chance. Um, I'd never used his studio before. This was the first time. It all just, yeah. This is perfect because we've just spoken about releasing yourself from outcome. So, and once you release yourself from outcome, then you can enjoy the present moment. So here you are, you're just in a voiceover booth recording some corporate video about a waste recycling center for a city council far away that someone's got this studio in Brisbane to do, probably because it was cheaper and they could turn it around quicker. They got you in. You're there, oh, how do I do it? Where's the microphone? There we go. Can you read this? Yeah, sure. I know how to read lines. I've done Shakespeare. I'm fine. She's a mum. Okay, I know a mum. How would my mum do this? Like this. Okay, see you later. Bye. So it's not like, here is this thing that won best in show at the Asia Pacific. It's probably going to go for 20 seasons. Go. Like you were just oh, released from outcome. Do you think that is the reason that you were able to do that kind of performance? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, it, yeah, there was no pressure. The yeah. ones the ones that happen have all, for me has have always been never the ones with big build-up, never the ones where there's like, I'd also been having this like really tricky year. I'd been 
just like coming in second on hold, not happening. And that's actually why I'd started working on voiceovers um, because I'd been on, on hold for things. I couldn't do anything else, but then that hadn't worked out. Um, and so this, yeah, this happened in a really organic way. But I've, I've always found that the things that sort of happened for me have either come out of left field or have just been offered or it's never anything that I feel like I put a lot of time into and I'm, I'm hoping. And I also feel like um, as soon as I have that feeling like, oh, my God, I really want it, it's already gone. What I'm feeling is like what I'm feeling is almost like the knowing that it's not mine like, like the ghost of it has just like brushed up against you as it's leaving. And that's the desperate feeling, the knowing it's, it's already not yours. So, but when something ends up being coming my way, there's always space around it. Like, it's like, I don't know how to explain it. Like it's expansive. And I know if it happens, it's right. And if it doesn't, something good's going to come of it anyway. Does that make sense? Oh, I am so with you. I know that if I get <laughs> really? told that, mate, it's between you and another guy and this is the show, if I get told that and I start immediately <laughs> buying things in my head with the paycheck I have not yet received and imagining seeing my face on the side of a bus driving by, I know it's not mine. <sighs> It's so dangerous. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I was like, don't tell me. Don't tell me anything. <laughs> yeah. I know it's not mine. And that's, the, and that's, and that's hilarious. Now I can laugh at it. I can laugh at it now because when it starts happening, I'm like, oh, I'm doing that thing. Yeah. When I do this thing, then I know it's not going to happen. Because it's, <laughs> what was the other thing that Charlie says? Charlie says it's a fast yes or it's a slow no. So unless I get told. Um, oh, oh. Yeah. Unless. Ouch. I know, right? <laughs> That, you said that's the other thing about acting. It's a fast yes or a slow no. So if, unless I get told you're the only person we want for this, um, we start in 10 days. Your schedule uh, is busy, but we'll find it out. Um, can I hand it over to business affairs and, and we'll deal with it? Yes, brilliant. If it's, mate, we've got you in mind for this thing. we just got to line some stuff up. Da, 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 da. Then I'm like, then it's not going to happen. Don't. Don't get my heart. It's nice. I'm grateful we're the speaking. The truth of that is, is such a barb. It is so painful, but it's very true. You and the other thing, you mentioned something which sucks. It's the on hold thing. It's the, the okay, we've really got you in mind, but this is our production window. So you, you don't take any new bookings for these three weeks. Okay. But that's three weeks where I can't work and I can't bring money in. Hoping spending the money from the imaginary gig in my head, yeah. like that's going to cover the mortgage. And it's also time where you have happen. to. <laughs> and, and psychologically, you have to just let it go. Every day you have to go to the universe. to the And that is exhausting. That is exhausting having to be constantly yeah. releasing because at this point it's, it's, not, it's not yours and it probably won't be <laughs> if you have those feelings. So I'm just so thrilled to hear that you you read the first time you read Chili, it was, you know, you'd, you'd seen the animatic, you'd seen, was it an episode, was it ended up becoming an episode that we might recognise or it was just a? Yes, um, it's The Weekend was the oh. first one. Oh, I so think it, it's called it, the Mag Magic Xylophone or The Weekend. Yeah, one of those. 
so that was the episode that it ended up becoming. So, which is great. They're both fantastic episodes. I yeah. trust. I know. I know every one of them. Uh, <laughs> when so you end up you read this <laughs> thing and you're like you'd seen the animatic, which kind of looks like if you flip through a comic book very quickly, that's what it looks like. It's not 24 frames a second. It's maybe, you know, exactly. two, or, two or three frames to show motion from one side of the screen to the other. So you saw that and Dan, who's Joe's brother, showed it to you and you went, oh, yeah, what would that mum sound like? Oh, yeah, she'd probably sound like this. And you went in and you did it. How, how close was that chili to the one that ended up becoming chili? Because, like, when you hear early Homer Simpson, you're the like, same. there's no way that's the same actor. Yeah. it's um, Honestly, it's pretty much exactly the same. It is just me. If I imagine, I have two little puppies. That is that is it. <laughs> and that's acting. <laughs> and that's acting, guys. It is. It is. But there is, <laughs> as someone who I've not only read a, a, a lot of a lot of scripts, um, I've written a lot, and most mostly mostly um, not not scripted stuff, but mostly like things like promos and voiceovers and like a lot of promos, a lot of things like that. And I always. Uh, I was always I knew that like a great a great script directs itself. If you know who you're writing for, if you write uh-huh. in their voice and you know how they like to speak things, you never have to say just a little harder on today, you know, because they it for them they're <laughs> yeah. just like I'm reading my own words and I'm exactly how to say this, and you're like, okay, done, man, you're out of here. Get you done. Exactly. Take two minutes, you're gone. Do you find that? Uh, yeah, look, this really has to be handed to Joe, who's the creator of Bluey. He writes all the episodes, he directs, he directs the animation, he directs us, the actors. His ability to tap into the reality of that age group and parenting um, in such a funny and true and profound way. Like the scripts are just, they're so easy to read they everything's on the page um yeah it's it's honestly such a good gig it's a it's a joy to do um but I I think that's why it's become so beloved is his ability to really yeah tap into that age group like so many people I've talked to have said are you are you videoing me and my family at home this is this is us this is the way (laughs) the way we interact together also another thing that I really love about the parents is that they're fallible like they make mistakes and they apologize for them and they own it and they know they're not perfect and I think that really resonates I also think we just haven't had a lot of representation of a dad who's super tuned in um to his kids and like wants to play with them and wants to be there and I can imagine as a young dad um that it was really lovely to see that representation. Just taking a moment away from our chat with Melanie to, oh, look, I've got to play some ads, don't I? I've got to keep the show on air because I've got to pay the people that help me make the show. There's a few people that help me make this show and each week I pay them because they're great at what they do. If you want to get an ad-free version of the show, you can. It's on Patreon, patreon.com slash osher is where you can find me or just search better than yesterday at Patreon. Uh, you can get on board with a couple of separate tiers there. There's ad-free and there's also video episodes of the show. I'd love it if this podcast does bring you value. You can rate, you can review, and most importantly, share. Tell someone about the episode. If there's someone you know that loves Bluey, send them this episode. Let them hear this incredible story with Melanie. I just thrilled that she's on. And thanks as well for checking out Dad Pod. Search Dad Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And um, 
Yeah, you can listen to Charlie and I. I think our guest last week was uh, Tizzy Hall. Uh, again, she joined us again. I can't remember who our guest this week is, but uh, Tizzy's really good this week. It was super duper cool. We'll be back in a moment with Melanie Zanetti. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I say it all the time on this show, that you can't be what you can't see. And hearing that Joe Brum, who's the creator of Bluey, just wanted to show the kind of dad that he was on TV. Because um, the dad you see on TV is often dumb fat dad and he's in a commercial and he's forgotten to buy mm. the right car insurance or he's fucked up the tyre change or something. And that's dumb fat dad. That's the, that's the dad. It's not the, okay, honey, you're busy. You're going off to work. I'll take care of these little tackers and whatever game they want to play, I'm going to play with them. Um, and I'm going to get through it. And at the end of the day, I'll just like on the couch you know? <laughs> <laughs> because they're only little for so long. Totally. And, you know, I, I, I kind of, I kind of adore that. And it's almost what I, there's so many things I love about the show, but that it gives, it kind of gives permission for parents to be that, if that's a way to say it. It shows, you know, I, I, we never know how anybody else parents except our own, right? If we're lucky enough to have an intimate partner, uh, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, we might get a chance to see how their parents might interact with them. But then again, you're seeing them interact as adults. I had the opportunity when I, met Audrey. Audrey already had Georgia. Georgia was 10 uh, when I met Audrey, my stepdaughter, who's now 18. It was my opportunity to see another mother actually mothering and actually parenting a kid. And that blew my mind. I was like, oh, there's another way to do it. It's very different. Like my mom did the best she could with what she had and that's fine. I was like, oh, but it can also be this. Oh, oh, wow. And it's such a it's it's such an incredibly powerful thing because the the characters, particularly Chili, is not, you know, she's not a punchline. She's not her behavior isn't the punchline. Her her mm-hmm. behavior and her actions are the exposition for the kids. And it's it's glorious to have these kind of bouncy castle walls created by these parents where Bingo and Bluey can kind of safely jump around essentially. <laughs> Exactly. Um, it's it's been really interesting. I know Ludo Studio that um, produces and, and makes Bluey um, have had so much feedback from parents saying, "This has taught me how to play with my kids because they've got a, a common language now. They have games that that they all know." Um, particularly, fathers saying, "This has pretty much taught me how to be a better dad." 
This has taught me how to listen to my kids. I've had teachers tell me um, more than one that they've had a student with learning disabilities or autism in their class and it's taught them how to play with other kids and it's changed their life at school. Um, I had a friend who recently, there's an episode, Onesies, um, who, and there's Chili's sister who is played by Rose Byrne. Um, They haven't seen each other for a while and you, you, as an adult, you realise it's because she can't have kids and um, it's really hard visiting her sister. And I have a friend who wrote to me and said, just through circumstances, she hasn't been able to have kids. And it was th- watching her family and some of her friends watching that episode of Blue was the first time they really got it. And it was so massive for her. Uh, so there's just, you know, when you're in this industry, sometimes you're like, does, does any of this have a matter? Like we're, we're not doing brain surgery. Um, but being part of a show that I feel like actually is having this really wonderful social impact is so, it's so great. It's so great to feel like, you know, you're putting something out in the world that's actually helpful. Oh, Melanie, I could not agree with you more. In fact, the, there's two two uh, episodes and I gratefully I was at the Logie Awards and I'm lining up for the red carpet, which is essentially like, a tuck shot line for famous people with paparazzi at the end of it. And I'm like, there's this big long line. There's got to be a hundred people in it. And I'm like, oh man, come on. I don't, I don't wait in lines. And look in front of me. Oh, it's Tim Minchin. And Tim Minchin's waiting. I better wait. <laughs> so I'm waiting. And Tim I tu- can wait. I can wait. And I turn around behind me and it's Joff Bush who writes all the music for Bluey. And Joff and I have been in touch and, you know, he's in my, I was going to get him on as a guest when I was doing my tour from Brisbane, but then my hip fucked out and I couldn't tour. So he and I have been talking heaps. I'm like, hey, Joff. And he goes, hey, this is everyone. And there's like everyone from Ludo's, there's 18 people. <laughs> They're all there. And then, um, uh, oh, what's not Dan? What's the, the Ludo, other Ludo guy? Thor's housemate. Daily. 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 Daily Pearson goes, Pearson. wait right there. And he goes and grabs Joe from the back and then goes, Joe, this is Osher. You've got to go on his podcast. And I'm like, and now suddenly I'm face to face with Joe Brum, who created Blue. He's like, oh, oh. I was like, it was like when I met Prince. I was like, I don't know what to say to you. And I just, at the time, I, the, the other one hadn't come out at that point. But at the time, I just said to him, Amazing. I was like, mate, in six minutes, you taught Australia more about CBT and challenging, uh, you know, distorted thinking with the episode stories than any psych I've ever seen in my life. Thank you for putting that out in the world. Thank you for teaching these kids, this generation of Australians, that feelings aren't facts and that you can rewrite your story. And he was probably expecting it. Hey, yeah. man, how are you? But instead I just go straight because I'm like, probably going to get eight seconds with you. I have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> But like those, that, so particularly <laughs> onesies, I, I've, I've, I've watched onesies. Stuff. I love it. I've watched onesies 21 times since it came out three weeks ago. I've wept every single time. I cry. Wow. I cry <laughs> during stories every single time when Mackenzie comes out of the slide. I cry because uh-huh. it is just so profoundly beautiful. And uh, you just, you can't help but uh-huh. like so much other writing, so much other it just pales into insignificance. I watch some of the most incredibly highly produced, expensive drama in the world. We've got, you know, we've got the Apple TV and Paramount. Yeah, we've got Amazon. Prestige we've got everything. TV. We're watching $100 million 10-episode Netflix shit, right? Uh-huh. 
the emotion is, is nowhere near what I see in Bluey in the writing. Totally. Like I, I've read the episodes, like I know what's coming, but when I first saw Sleepy Time, I was like, oh, this is like sobbing mess. That one got me, flat pack gets me. I also love that Lee Sales is Coco's mum who comes and says you're doing a good job. I was like, if I want to hear that from anyone, it's Lee Sales. <laughs> I've never met Lee Sales. I've also I've never met Dave McCormack. We've talked on the phone a few times, but uh, yeah, we, we live in different cities and I'm often in a different hemisphere. So that's going to happen at some point. Dave McCormack's a lovely human being, but I don't need to tell you that. But He's, he's a legend. He's such a champion. But what I He hear- also sounds... Exactly yeah. like Bandit. I was going to say, when I hear Dave McCormack open his mouth, when I hear Bandit, I'm like, that's the guy I used to interview with his band Custard. That's Dave McCormack. He's not, he's just being oh my Dave gosh, McCormack. Of course. Of course. You, I forgot the, you know, multiple lives thing um, yeah. that, that Dave and I guess we all have. Uh, that's that's hilarious. Yeah, he's exactly he, who he is. So, busy, right? Oh, totally, man. Dave come and Custard, they were one of the... I like, remember, wow, I remember can... as a team listening yeah. on Triple J. I was a big fan. They were they were part of that scene of like, well, if they can make it, we can make it because I played in bands and we were like, well, geez, Custard doing it, let's do it. And we used to play it. We recorded an EP at a studio where Custard had been the week before and they'd graffitied on the wall and they'd you know written their names on the door and we were like, oh, wow, Custard, we're here, man. This is clearly a really good studio. It's worth all the money we're paying of, you know, that we got from our unemployment <laughs> checks. Because <laughs> that's the other great pathway to unemployment is to choose to be a musician that doesn't play covers. Um, but, yeah, Dave McCormack, I'm guessing, can't go to a bar and say, I'll have two schooners, thanks, without someone going, holy shit, <laughs> you know, double-taking. But you, totally. clearly, you are not, you are not Chili Healer. Uh, I, have a, I have quite a chameleon voice. Um, and you know, we're working elsewhere, you're doing different accents because no one wants to hear the Australian accent overseas. Um, so, well, they do, they just don't have Australians in their shows. Yeah. Never been recognized, but I kind of like the anonymity. I like being able to fly into the radar. So sometimes, um, have you seen, oh, that's brilliant. Have you seen Mindhorn? No. What is Mindhorn? It is Julian Barrett, so not Noel Fielding from Mighty Boosh, so the other one. So not the one that does Great British Bake Off from Mighty Boosh, the other one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, Julian Barrett does an incredible – he does – it's an unbelievable – Mustached in in Boosh. Unbelievable film called Mindhorn, and it's about an 80s TV cop who – an actor who plays an 80s TV cop that was a massive hit and then um, some some shit goes down and the person who's the perpetrator says, um, you need to send Mindhorn to come and find me and they've, you know, kidnapped something or other. So they go and find this out-of-work actor who's, you know, you know, doing kids' parties or whatever and he's overweight and he can't fit in any of his old wardrobe or whatever and they go, seriously, the only way we're wow. going to get this kid back is if you become Mindhorn again and there's an eye patch and things like that. But he says... So he's getting ready and he goes, okay, okay now, shoes. And then someone runs over and gives him a pair of shoes and only when he's in the shoes he goes, now we're there. You know, he just boom. He becomes Mindhorn once he puts the shoes on and it's it's fucking hilarious (laughs) film but it's very clever. So how how do you find, when it comes time to find Chili, 
How do you I, I'm find getting so chili? many good recommendations in this. <laughs> I'm here to help. How do you find chili? Um, honestly, she's she's there. How do I find chili? She's um she's there on the page. Like Joe has written the characters so clearly yeah. that all you really have to do is pick up a script. All right, I got two little puppies. Um, I'm warm. I'm smart. Got a right sense of humor. That's uh, not not super far from me, and uh, just go and play. Yeah. I, when I'm in the booth, it really helps to um, act everything out. So everything I'm doing, I'm actually doing. It's like if you were to record it, I would look insane. But that's how vocal quality wise, I get what's uh, it to sound like it's actually happening. Like if I'm picking one of them yeah. up or if I'm scrubbing dishes or if I'm running, there's a, a level of, of the doing so that vocally that'll be reflected uh, when you watch the show. Right. So you've, you've hit many a, many a lectern. <laughs> many a lectern ha- has, been, has been hit. Um, try not, not for sound. Is there something you can feel in your in your in your throat or in your your palate or the way that you hold your head when you know you're oh, this is where chili is? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. If, I don't know if there is. I I no. I I don't think it's necessarily a position, but uh, I know when I've started going into it vocally, and there's uh, there's a phrase uh, like the kids say it a lot. Um, for real life. There no, she is. She, she's oh, she's pretty she close is. to where I naturally yeah. sit. I probably lean into the Aussie a bit more. I've got a I've got a pretty neutral accent um, in terms of Australian, so I do I do kind of lean lean a bit more into the Aussie. Yeah, you give her a good Brisbane. You give her a couple of good Brisbane vowels, which I'm very grateful for. And when I read about and now that Bluey is <laughs> streaming on Disney Plus in the states, and goodness me, you're getting like 200 million downloads a week. Like it's fucking huge, right? reading things like, oh, my kids speak with an Australian accent. It's like, yeah, how's it feel, guys? You know, how's, how's it feel having a bit of culture, reverse it. cultural imperialism, mate? Back. How do you feel? Um, but, you know, this idea of like, oh, we'd love to see Halloween or we'd love to see, you know, it's like, well, no, man, we, we again, we grew up watching all of your stuff. Like, I don't care what the 4th of July is, but every show I watch has an episode about it. I don't care what Thanksgiving is, but suddenly I'm watching an episode of, you know, Seinfeld or Family Ties that involves Thanksgiving. I don't care that, you know, I'm being enforced, like this whole, you know, thing come upon me. It's like, no, man, we're going to do a whole episode about the state of origin and it's going to be awesome. Exactly. <laughs> we're going to have Christmas in the pool. Yes. That, that, oh man, that stuff is great. I, you know, and again, it's, it's not only the, the reflection <laughs> yeah. of the value system that we have as, um, as Australians, I think it is, it's also the, this beautiful place, like in, in fairy tale when they're, mm. um, they're camping at the, the, the Mission Beach Caravan Park up in Cairns. You know, it's, it's, it's clearly, that's what it is. Like, that's where they are. <laughs> that's the caravan park. Oh, yeah, so <laughs> good. And the way, you know, the, the, the buses are the buses I used to take to school and the Ibis are the Ibis and Bluey's Nan lives on the Goldie. She lives at Tweed looking at the, you know, the view out the window. And I had a, sh- I had a house <laughs> I lived in in Cooper, so I'm pretty sure. Like, if, as, a, as someone who grew up in Brisbane, where do you think the Healer house is? Oh, maybe Red Hill. That's what that's what I thought, but the f- story bridge is in the foreground. So I think they I think they might be on the other side. I think they might be in Cooperoo somewhere. 
or, or, okay, or, or somewhere the there. There's been some creative liberties taken in terms of exactly where I think they've just kind of shoved some of our main. There's some Mount Kunther stuff and there's some uh, yeah. Story Bridge. I think there's there's been a bit yeah. of an amalgamation going on there. So I would I wouldn't take all that too too like gospel. Okay then, but you know, the points Yanas are everywhere, and it's also you know, it's very beautiful. I'm getting into some nerdy audio stuff now. I, I used to do a, a radio show called Take Forty Australia, and I would travel. This is you know before broadband internet, so I would travel with um, you know, recording equipment and all kinds of things, and essentially build a sound booth out of whatever I had with me. And I think the best one I ever did was under two blankets in a cupboard in a castle in Scotland. I once recorded an episode of Take 40 Australia um, on a mobile recording device. No way. Look, I've definitely done some under blanket action that's purely vocal stuff. It's precarious sometimes. Bluey's always in a studio, um, just different places in the world it's been recorded. Um, I recorded in Florence, in Latvia last year when I was shooting something there, Uh, upstate New York, L.A. Uh, Yeah, it's it's, Bluey's done, done the tour in terms of my recording. I'm uh, I'm sounding the way I'm sounding because I am at around about midnight every night for like every second night for the last three weeks. I've been screaming, take it off at the top of my lungs, shooting um, Masked Singer. Vocal conservation has been a, a tricky part of my career since I started in radio when I was 20. Wow. What are some things... And, and this is a real, this is a real part. It's like a, you know, it's like Jonathan Thurston's shoulder. You got to be careful. You got to take time to recover, otherwise you're not going to be able to play mm-hmm. the next game. What are some things that are uh, uh, like a hard yes and a hard no for you around vocal performance and vocal conservation? Oh, um, look, it depends what I'm doing at the time. I feel like um, when I'm doing screen stuff, it's kind of easier because there's takes and you know, you're stopping and starting. I think if I'm doing a really big show, if I'm doing like a theatre show that's a classic where, you know, it's vocally can be quite taxing, uh, do all the warming up, do the warming down, uh, all the liquids, uh, try to stay away from alcohol. Um, but with Bluey, like, I do a little warm up and get in, but it's it's never that taxing except for when asparagus. That was ma- like magic asparagus. I can't remember what the name is, but we have to be. They're like, okay, so it's a dinosaur, and now you're a chicken. But we should have done the dinosaurs last because that's really taxing. Uh, and then you're a lion. It's that stuff that you like. And Joe's Joe's in the booth, and he's like, and this is your job. As I've been like being a T Rex, yeah, um, yeah. Th- those are the ones where you got to be, got to watch out if there's you know heavy dinosaur content. Um, <laughs> what, yeah. what is what is uh, people have probably heard about a vocal warm up. Um, I I got given one by the doctor who shoved a fiber optic camera down my throat to make sure I didn't have nodules. But what about a warm down? What tell me about the vocal warm down? Why that's important? Um. Just because if you've been using your voice, um, you know, probably a range that you're not used to and for longer periods than you used to, I, for me, something like a, a warm day would be a gentle humming, 
um, making sure your throat's really lubricated, making sure you're not out in the cold. The cold is the killer yeah. for me. Uh, firstly, I hate the cold. I hate it at all times. I'm a lizard. I need I need a warm rock and I'll be happy. Uh, I have poor circulation. So really just making sure that particularly like throat area is, is kept warm. Uh, but honestly, warm down is something that like we often forget about unless unless I'm like on the edge of getting sick and then I'm like, okay, make sure, make sure you're doing it all. But it's like if like you go for a really intense run, warming down is important because everything's going to be, if you don't, it's going to be stiff and sore the next day. Same principle. You're about to head overseas. You're going back to Los Angeles to um, to get amongst it because you got to be you got to be a part of it. I'm actually heading to Kansas to shoot a film. Hooray! Well, that's good. You're not going just to roll the dice. I'm happy to hear that. No, 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 no. Going. It's um, yeah, a bit of a prison break, small town shooty shooty one. Uh, should be fun. Seems like a good team. Got going. I really hope that after a hard day on the range when you've been practising your gunplay so you look like you can handle a Glock as a woman who knows what she's doing, that uh, the way the time zones work out, still sore from stage combat that you've been doing all day with the stunties, um, you then uh, become chilly and read the kids a bedtime story in a voiceover booth somewhere in Kansas. (laughs) Well, unfortunately... Uh, my character is uh, not a gun handler in this one, um, but I have done man- many a different thing besides kids' cartoon. The one I did last year was a horror. I've done romance. I've done yeah. set in the 80s, uh, lots of things, which is so great to be able to, uh, I don't know, put on different skins and get to yeah. you know live different lives. Well, judging from what earlier in our conversation, you know, when you come, come back to zero and then you start to make choices. As an actor, as part of the gig, exploring essentially like doing doing CBT live on stage or live in front of a camera, like exploring different reactions to situations and seeing where they take you? Absolutely. Um, I think that's, that's one of the most wonderful things um, about that, you know, I get to do in this job is getting to, uh, live in the moment as someone else. Mm. Um, and, you know, whatever character you play will be filtered through you because you are the channel of that character. Um, but just getting to to live other lives and do things that you would not do as you, getting, like the permission to do that is really exciting as well, especially if you get to play a villainous character or, um, someone who lives in a different time period or, you know, someone who has magical powers. All of that is just so much fun. But it would be, I'm not saying that you become a magician or you become a villain, but surely in your day-to-day when you're in the grocery store, does it affect the way that you make choices when someone's annoying you or <laughs> you don't get the right change back? Or something? Oh. Do, you think about, do you think about the way you go through your day differently? Sure. I think those thoughts um, probably do mull around, but I think, um, to be really, uh, I think happy doing this work, I think you've got to be pretty centered in who you are. Firstly, because it's just so all over the place and, you know, the highs are really high and the lows are got awful and you've got to be able to have some sort of equilibrium in that. But also when you're playing different characters, I remember 
this was in university. We were doing a play, um, Brett's Mother Courage, and I was playing Katrin. And, you know, horrible things to happen, happen to her in this play. She gets raped. She gets this huge scar across her face. She ends up getting, she saves this town, but she gets shot and killed. Um, so, yeah, light, fluffy piece. And I just found that I was so sad. I was so sad all the time. Um, and I went and talked to, had a little word to the director because um, it was really affecting me. And we we created this little ritual of making sure that all my makeup was properly washed off when I left, um, that I had clothes that were very much me when I left and that I brought something into the dressing room that was me. And, you know, you don't need that for every production necessarily, but some, some yeah. are more intense than others and you just need to um, – yeah, make sure that you're keeping a sense of self. And, and I understand why in this industry people can um, end up turning to drugs and alcohol to try and, you know, yeah. just the escapism of, you know, how, how much everything is in flux but yeah. also playing these characters. Um, so, yeah, having ways that you can yeah. decompress, uh, ways that you can deal with the uncertainty, like getting out of nature for me, hiking, I go in and out of meditating. Um, I'll stop for a while and then I'll start again. I'll be like, oh, my God, this sucks. It's hard. And then I'll do it. I go, okay, it's really good. I should be doing this all the time. It's, it's hard um, because so, it's good. Yeah. yeah, there's, you know, making sure you're looking after your body. Yeah. It's hard because it's good. Yeah, yeah, it's if it true. was easy, everyone would do it. But it is easy. It is easy because it's good and then it's hard because it's good. It's all, all meditating is just being aware of your breath and going, I'm thinking about something else. Oh, I'm back to my breath. And that's going to be like, honestly, it's going to be like trying to get a toddler to sit down. You just got to, sometimes you, you start at a minute and you go from there, you know. Exactly. It's, it's interesting you talk about, you know, having that moment to, to change shape from, you know, I'm doing this as, you know, as someone watching a show or watching a film, I've paid money to see a film or, you know, I subscribe or watch TV. You know, I want to see a, a really impressive emotional response on camera from this actor, but then how does this actor then go home to their own family or go their own, you know, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, father, mother, whatever, and having that transition period. Lucy Easthope, the disaster planner, mm -hmm. I asked her the same question and she's like, oh, I use music. She has music on the way in. And she has music on the way out. So she'll, you know, leave a, a you know, like a Zoom mm -hmm. a Zoom call, you know, with someone overseas who's, you know, there's I been an avalanche that. or something horrendous. And then she'll leave, listen to music for like five minutes and then go downstairs and the kids are like, what's for dinner, mum? She's like able to, you know, be there because she's managed to kind of shapeshift like the elevator in um, Severance, if you've seen that, which is also very good. Uh, because you don't want to end up like um, Jim Carrey. If you haven't seen Jim and Andy, that is my I've heard it's on my list. On my list. <laughs> that is why you need to take all your makeup off. That yeah, right. is why. <laughs> he was never the same after that. Um, <laughs> I'm so yes. look, Melanie. I'm just so grateful that I was able to talk to you today. I'm so grateful you said yes to this because to be able to speak to you the way we've spoken today about not only about acting but also about what Bluey means to us as a country, but also what it is that how you look after yourself along the way and how you try to be present. Um, uh, that all serves why you are who you are and you have the career that you have. And I, I really hope that people have had a chance to listen to that and, and reflect that and try to take a little bit here and there, particularly just the, you know, where am I starting from? Like that in itself is enough to change your day. Like that is a gift to know that. Totally. Yeah, amazing. Good luck with it all, man. It's so great to see you. And like, I'm, and I'm glad I remember Thank how to play so the much. theme song. Thank you so much. This has been such a great chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great attempt.
You're the best. Have a great Arvo. All right. Lovely to see you. Cheers. Thanks so much. That was Melanie Zanetti, and she is really something. And that show is really something. Bluey is really something else. If you live in the States, I believe Series 3 is out uh, this week. Uh, the rest of Series 3 is out this week. In Australia, obviously, you know that uh, the new episodes are out, and they're out right now. You can find Bluey on iView if you've never watched it. Mate, get in. Uh, I spoke to a person today at work. I spoke to a person on set. They're 52. They say, I watch it every day. I don't even have kids. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it, man. Melanie Zanetti is on Instagram, M-E-L-A-N-I-E-Z-A-N-E-T-T-I. She's absolutely superb, and I'm just so thrilled that she came on the show and she said yes. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks to everyone who helped me make the show. Bruce Deal on research and support. Andy Ma, who cut the whole show together. Mike Mills, also known as Toe Hider, who made all the music. And Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of the Everythings. Thanks for being a part of it. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Till then, sleep well and dream beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.